What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Ben and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend Drew. Thanks Ben. Each episode we will sample beers, both local and beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or stream each episode on wannabewalkons.com. New episodes drop during the Nebraska football season every Tuesday at 11 a.m. On this week's episode, Wannabe Walk-Ons is very excited to have on the show co-host of 1620 The Zone's unsportsmanlike conduct, Mr. Josh Peterson. In addition to our conversation with Josh, we will sample beers from Lincoln, Nebraska's Zipline Brewing Company and preview the Huskers' matchup against the Wisconsin Badgers. I'm Ben. And I'm Drew. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. The second bye week is in the rearview mirror, along with most of the 2021 football season. That's for the best. But that didn't stop Nebraska from shaking shit up. There was a complete overhaul on the offensive side of the ball, and Trev Alberts officially announced the retention of Scott Frost as Nebraska's head coach for at least the 2022 football season. Before we dive into the specifics, we're also attacking the bye week and taking advantage of the extra time it affords us. Today we're at the Zipline Brewing Company's Beer Lounge in West Omaha, sitting down with the co-host of 1620 The Zone's wildly popular afternoon show, Unsportsmanlike Conduct, with Mr. Josh Peterson. Welcome, Josh. Welcome, Josh. Wildly popular. Thank you, boys. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's our honor. We're, we're really, really happy to have you here. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. So for our listeners who have only heard bits and pieces of the changes announced this past week, we're going to provide a quick recap and then dive right into sharing our thoughts. On Monday, November 8th, Nebraska's athletic director Trev Alberts announced that Scott Frost would be returning for his fifth season as head coach. The return came on the heels of a restructured contract and the firing of four offensive coaches. Offensive coordinator Matt Lubick, running backs coach Ryan Held, offensive line coach Greg Austin, and quarterbacks coach Mario Verduzco were all relieved of their duties immediately. Scott Frost also reduced his salary from $5 million for the 2022 season to $4 million and adjusted his buyout after October 1st of 2022 from $15 million to $7.5 million. On November 8th's episode of Sports Nightly, Trev Albert said, Scott talked an awful lot about how important this is to him, and in a way, Scott has bet on himself. I wish I could bet on myself and have it only mean that I only get $4 million instead of $5 million. Be a pretty good, pretty good deal. I'd take that bet. Yeah. (laughs) I'm good with that. I'll sign up for that immediately. Yeah, I'll take that bet. So in a lengthy interview with the Omaha World Herald and Lincoln Journal star, Trev Albert said he thinks Frost can be excellent in a role in which he pays a bit closer attention to a bigger picture. Albert's continued, maybe that ability, and I don't know this for sure, for Scott to dive into those critical areas, could that possibly be the missing link of detail that we need in those one-score games? 
Frost will be more of a CEO type of head coach going forward and probably won't be calling plays anymore. He'll likely hire an offensive coordinator who takes over that side of the ball with Frost adding his expertise as needed. If Frost is able to right the ship and win the Big Ten West division, it will literally, and this isn't hyperbole, be a historically unprecedented turnaround. What are we thinking on our thoughts on this? Drew, go ahead. Start us off. Impress Josh. Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to agree with what Josh <laughs> says. If you listen to Unsportsmanlike Conduct, you know, you know where Josh, Josh stands on this. Um, I'm right there with I, it's, it. It's crazy to me that they're how open and transparent Trev is with just like, yeah, it's probably not going to work, but we're going to do it. So that's the thing that I, I continue to maybe be astounded by ever since he went on, you know, Sports Nightly. And then the, the quotes that came out of, the, of his interview with the World Herald and the Journal Star, like there's not the empirical data that shows this is going to work. It's like, OK, so we're all in agreement that this is not going to work. So why, why are they bringing him back again? And I mean, there are a lot of reasons why, certainly. Uh, but that, that's the thing that maybe as the week went on and the more I talked about it with, with whether it was listeners or other fans or you know, fellow media members, the, the common refrain seems to be, yeah, this isn't going to work. And they're just kicking the can down the road one, maybe two, maybe three more years. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm okay with it. I know I'm, I'm in the minority in this conversation saying that, but it's, it's more about the sense of, I'm okay giving another shot. I'm okay seeing what comes of it. I've heard the conversation of, you know, oh, it's going to be his third offensive coordinator in five seasons. I don't really buy into that conversation because I don't think he's trusted his two offensive coordinators the same way he's being almost forced into trusting these guys. Sure. So I am interested to see what that change looks like. It's probably not going to work. I understand that. <laughs> yeah. But at this point, I'm willing to exhaust other options before jumping back onto that coaching carousel. What I don't particularly agree with is Trev coming out and saying it's because he's a Nebraska guy. Yeah. That is where it's kind of like if it was any other coach, if there was maybe these kind of changes that Bo could have gone through, a coach that has a history of winning nine games a season and these little changes could come about before just letting go of the guy because you don't like him. I'd like to have seen something like that. I was a Bo supporter right until the end. When it comes to this Scott Frost thing, I'd have been more content if he just said it's a good business decision. It's saving us money, but it, yeah, but that and it, it does save the money. It is a good mm-hmm. business decision, and that's why I'm okay it with way. it. But it's so, but it, they're making it based on sentiment, which yeah. which is just that's not, the part I definitely yeah. don't agree with. When you look at the empirical data, it's like okay, I I can buy into this as a business decision, mm-hmm. and that's where I'm kind of bought in. Is it's there? I kind of I I like that he said it, um, even though I disagree with him. You know, I, I like that he said it because. I've had a theory for a while now that, that, you know, Scott Frost and and people wanting Scott Frost is more about, you know, wanting to lose with him than winning with somebody else. And so Trev saying that it was like, Oh, finally, finally, somebody is actually saying what I've been thinking about a lot of fans. And I think that the the response this week showed that, that, you know, as, as we continue to talk about what this means moving forward, and there does seem to be a consensus of, yeah, they're probably not going to get that, that good on the football field. And so uh, for him to say it, it's like the quiet part out loud, but there's a part of me that's like, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I appreciate the honesty, if anything yeah. else. Yeah. I can buy into that. Yeah, I agree. And it, and it works because it lines up so well with what a, I think a majority of Nebraska fans kind of want Definitely. in this situation. Yeah. Definitely. We're finally going to get a 30 for 30, but it's going to be one we fucking hate. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm happy you said it, too. You know, we're all uh, getting close to Thanksgiving. And I know that when I go to Fremont, Nebraska, which is where my uh, mom's family is from, I know that a lot of those family members... Uh, in, most notably my grandpa, I think, is it would have said those same things yeah. if, Trev had, if Trev hadn't said it. And I imagine that a lot of people around the state, that those conversations would have been, hey, you got to give him another chance, though. He is from Nebraska. He's one of us. And so for Trev to say that, it's like, all right, at least, at least now we can all be open and honest about it. Yeah. yeah. I can buy into that. I can live with that. Yeah. 
Can I just say how weird it is to hear Josh's voice, but also see you talking at the same time? Yeah, it's a nice face. You know, it's nice oh, to come put on a face now. I wore my I wore my Cowboys hat, you know, my, my beanie, because it is a Sunday, ready for the uh, game today. And my, but I had just taken a shower, so my hair is all over the place. So I, yeah. appreci- I appreciate the kind words of seeing me in person. I still have the residual shower sweats, which is probably a way overshare, but where it's like you get out of the shower oh, yeah. and you get dressed. The shower doesn't like, take. Yeah. Oh, man, it's like, geez. We'll put a pin in that conversation for now and turn our attention towards today's gracious host, Zipline Brewing Company. Normally, we record in Ben's unfinished basement, but we thought a brewery would be much more welcoming and far less threatening. At the mention of Josh's name, Zipline was kind enough to roll out the red carpet and allow us to record at their West Omaha Beer Lounge. I don't understand why a dimly lit unfinished basement full of old toys and weird sounds can be deemed threatening, but how about we leave my basement out of this and dive into the history of Zipline Brewing Company? I realize that there's nothing written for you to say back to that, so I nope. <laughs> I will start with my introduction. I follow the script to a T. Mm. You yep. really do. Zero reaction. Yeah. <laughs> Zipline Brewing Company is a Nebraska institution. The Zipline umbrella includes four tap rooms devoted exclusively to Zipline beer, a current lineup of 14 different brews, and distribution across all of Nebraska and five additional states. It's hard to believe it now, but this powerhouse of Nebraska brewing was at one time a major risk. In 2011, Marcus Powers, an environmental attorney, Tom Wilmoth, an attorney, and James Gallantine, the underachiever of the group, an orthopedic surgeon, were all members of the same softball team and devoted home brewers. You could easily say that they were the three best friends that anyone could have. James got it in his head to start a microbrewery and quickly sold Tom on the idea. The pair tried to pull in Marcus, but he felt there was too much risk involved and politely declined with a thanks but no thanks. Fortunately for all of us sitting in this zipline beer lounge, James and Tom didn't take no for an answer. The pair decided to further their research by attending a brewery conference in Chicago, and upon their return, they were both, quote, drunk on brewery Kool-Aid. James and Tom made Marcus a new offer, one you could say he couldn't refuse, and Marcus, the one-time holdout, became Zipline's sole employee. Marcus left his job as an environmental attorney for the state and began to design and build the brewery. For over a year, Marcus Powers was the full-time brewer, builder, and bathroom cleaner. In November of 2012, Zipline dropped their first batch of beer to the public and began distributing to pubs and bars across Lincoln. A short month later, demand for the beer grew, and the three beer skateers decided to open a small taproom on Fridays and Saturdays to welcome in the thirsty masses. The taproom quickly became a hot spot in Lincoln, with patrons happy to fill in shoulder-to-shoulder for delicious craft beer. In 2013, Zipline hired on Mike Bowden as the brewery's director of brewing. With Mike's help, the brewery was able to continue on its upward trajectory, leading to an output of over 10,000 barrels or 310,000 gallons heading into 2019. Zipline was born from James, Tom, and Marcus's innate sense of adventure and their desire to connect with the thrill-seeking spirit in all craft beer fans. When it came to name the brewery, the guys pulled from their sense of adventure and backyard accident featuring James's son and, you guessed it, a Zipline. Combine one broken arm with the trio's exhilaration of taking a risk and you get Zipline. Plus, it didn't hurt that there are very few breweries that start with a Z. Zipline's approach is often described as clean, simple, direct, and flavorful, focusing on producing the highest quality handcrafted innovative beers that borrow from English, German, Belgian, and Czech traditions. They take those traditions, pay tribute, and allow the beer to evolve into, as they put it, a brave new brew. And that is the story of Zipline Brewing, and all I can say is thank goodness those guys had a safety net of being attorneys and doctors, <laughs> because I would really hate for them to open a brewery and just have it fall on its face into, instead of turning into the success that Zipline eventually became. Yeah, they, they bet on themselves. Must so nice. we'll go around the table and, and real quick talk about what we are each drinking, and Drew, I will let you start. All right, yeah, I uh, went with a hazy IPA. It's called Cloudlifter, and I've actually been... I, 
hazies have been a big craze lately and, mm-hmm. and I got into them deep and then got burnt out pretty hard. Um, switched over to a lot more of the lager styles as cream ales as we've been doing this show. But this, jumping back into to the hazy here, it's a big tropical pineapple orange citrusy type hazy. It's got a good mouthfeel, creamy, just just delicious. This is a, a good reintroduction to an old favorite style. So Great. And Josh, what are you enjoying? I uh, also went with the hazy. I went with the hazy heart IPA, and I, I'm I'm same as you. Uh, I I love hazies. I got into them the first time I had one. I was actually in Detroit, Michigan. Randomly, I went there with a friend for March Madness, and we ended up going to a, a bar. And we said, "Hey, you know what? What would you recommend?" And they recommended something locally there that I never I never I was like, "What in the world is this?" They poured them like, "Is that how it's supposed to look?" It looked you know super <laughs> duper cloudy, and that was 2017. And after that, I started chasing it. You know, I'm like, yeah. "I want I want to try more of this." But I'm with you. There was there was a night. It was funny. I it was actually recording a podcast where I think I had like four or five hazies, like just back to back to back to back. And I woke up and I was like, I, I need to take a break. And so every 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 <laughs> I feel like every few months I have I have a couple too many, and I'm like, all right, it's time to dial it back. This is great though. This is this is really tremendous. Not overpowering, but a lot of flavor um, in it. I, I never had this one. I've, I love the Cloud Lifter. I actually just finished one this week, the last one that we had in our fridge. This is really tasty as well. That's awesome. I really like what you said about chasing the hazies and kind of going after like when you find a beer style oh man yeah. and then it's going down the rabbit hole of like okay now i gotta find the best available to me and yeah. stock up on it so i can definitely side with chasing that high and and also the having too many <laughs> yeah. oh yeah the oh, realization yeah. that yeah. it's time to stop yeah. yeah um i'm having the crowd surfer ipa mine is much more clear than either one of your guys's ipas it's a little bit more of a traditional ipa but does hit some of those mango tropical tropical notes very light, very refreshing, and a great beer overall. Zipline, I think, does an excellent job with IPAs, even though they started off in that kind of English style and the Belgian style and the Czech style with more of the lagers, porters, stouts. They've really kind of planted themselves with like Dang and Mm -hmm. uh, the Cloud Lifters and all of those different hazies. Yeah, those are the styles that I really think of when when I think of Zipline, is their IPAs, that, that line that they have there. But they do have a lot of the good traditional styles as well that you can find just about anywhere you go. Yeah. I think the thing I like most about Zipline is that their floor is very high. You know, yeah. like the the, mm-hmm. the beers that that I'll have from Zipline, where I'm like, yeah, that wasn't my favorite. It's still much better than you know some other breweries, either their middles or even some of their their higher end ones. So yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of what Zipline. Name does. them. Name the breweries you hate. I'm uh, just kidding. <laughs> I'll tell you off air. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, I didn't write a transition, but now we get to dive in with talking about you, Josh. Fun. So Josh, why don't you go ahead and tell us, uh, tell our listeners about your journey to 1620 The Zone and how you came to co-host on Sportsmanlike Conduct. Uh, long story short is uh, my parents went to church, I, I kid you not, with Damon Benning uh, oh. back when I was like at the beginning of college. I, I got to host a radio show in college. They introduced me to Damon, you know, around the holidays, either Thanksgiving or Christmas. I bugged him, hey, can you come on my show? He came on my college radio show. Damon Benning was a weekly guest on my college radio show. Weekly? No kidding. During the football season. It was awesome. So we basically did the Damon Benning breakdown. We called it, I think, Fireside Chats with Damon Benning is what we did. So he came on. I apparently was not that terrible because he ended up recommending me to Kevin and Michael, Kevin Kugler and Michael Severe, back when they were doing Unsportsmanlike Conduct as an intern. So I had a chance to intern with them back in uh, in the summer of 2011. So I just passed 10 years of doing that. And, and that was an incredible experience. I was only there interning for like two months, but I, I learned a lot. It felt like it was, you know, a year that I yeah. that I had with them. Not to be too egotistical. I worked hard. You know, I, I, I think that I'm pretty creative, yada, yada, yada. Well, eventually I got hired as a part-timer. And so 
I'm a part-time worker at, at NRG Media. So it has The Zone, it has 1180, and it has some other stations. Well, at the time, they had Lancers games, they have Creighton women's basketball, they have volleyball, all these things. And so when I'm in college, I'm finishing up in, at, at Nebraska, I, I ask them, hey, do, you know, can I do anything? And so I start doing these random games. And, well, eventually their producer at the time, Lacey, she gets pregnant. And she's going to go on maternity leave. And I asked her, I said, do you think that they would consider me as their producer? And she said, well, you're actually the person that they want to produce a show. They, they really liked having you. And so I was like, all right, cool. So I started doing it a few times a week during college. And, and by the time that, that my that 2011-2012 school year ended in May, she decided to be a full-time stay-at-home mom. And so then I'm like bugging and badgering my boss. So I, I eventually get that gig. And, you know, my boss at the time, Neil Nelkin, and my coworkers, they all knew, like, I don't want to be a producer. You know, there's a lot of people that they'll, they'll just, you know, stay a producer forever. And that's awesome. You know, I, producers are so incredibly important to what we do. But they knew I, that's not what I wanted. And so I'm just pushing and pushing and pushing for opportunities. We eventually get Creighton Basketball. So that was the first time that I really had a chance to do a show. So I was doing a pregame show. And, you know, Michael ends up leaving. Uh, at the beginning of, of 2014, and I didn't think that, that, that they would consider me. At the time, I was 25, and so I'm super young, super green. I, I, I've hosted on the air before, but in hindsight, I was not ready. I cannot believe that they ended up hiring me, but I, you know, I was super cheap. I have to imagine that I was super cheap compared to who they want. John and I had good enough chemistry. He, he, he must have gone to bat for me to, to, you know, uh, to, to a degree. I don't know how, how much he was like, we got to hire this 25-year-old. But uh, you know, they, they, I, I, eventually, I remember I sat down with my boss in, in April, and I told him, like, I want the job. I want the job. I think I can do the job. I know this area. John and I work well together. So that was April. I got the job full-time, like, right before the football season kicked off in 2014. So that's, that's you know, as quick as I can tell the story, that's kind of how my time, uh, you know, began of interning all the way to, to being the, the co-host. So that was 2014, and so this was my eight, this is my eighth football season I've been on the air as the co-host with John. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think one of the big things that actually helps is – that age differential, mm -hmm. because you can have people from our age group, you know, we're, we're all the same age in yep. our early thirties. And then you have folks, my parents age who are listening in yep. for all the different takes yep. and you're doing it in a way where it's still relevant mm -hmm. to us. It's still relevant to the generation after us. And then you've got generations before us who are, who are coming into it and kind of learning on their own. My brother's five years younger than me and he also listens to the show. And, mm. and there's still this kind of like connection where like, I think that age differential is actually what separates the show itself. It's not just old guys talking about sports. It's a younger gentleman, an older gentleman. I don't want to say John's older, but a guy of a different ah. generation. Yeah. <laughs> he does the voice himself. He brings it on himself. <laughs> but a guy of, a, of the, the next generation, the previous sure. generation. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I really appreciate you saying that. I remember, you know, before I got to, to host it on air with him. So this is probably late spring, early summer of 2014. And he said essentially that. He's like, I really like our, our age gap. I think that that can be good. And, you know, it, it's one thing if I think that way, you know, as the young gun coming on the show. But for him to do so as well, he, him embracing, especially, you know, when, when, when Stibbs was our producer, because he's my age as well. He, he's, he's, he'll, he'll turn 33 next month. I turn 33 in September. And so him, John embracing that is the reason why we have been able to have the success that we have because he didn't have to do that. You know, right. he, he could have, he, he didn't have to do that. He, he had been in the industry a lot longer. You know, he, he could have been, you know, stuck in his ways, but he, he, 
he embraced it for better and worse early on, I think. You know, I look back, like I said, I look back and I'm kind of surprised that I ever had the opportunity that I did. And I look back at some of the mistakes that I made along the way. And I, I look at the show and how it evolved from 15, 14 to 15 to 16 to what it is now. And we went through a lot of growing pains, you know, in hindsight that, that you know, I, I guess I didn't really realize at the time. But John embracing that age gap. The thing that I love most about working with John is he has like no ego and, and, you know, we've, we've had some bad fights off the air and on the air, but off the air before where, where we left and it was like, geez, that was a bad, bad time. But it's probably only happened a handful of times ever. And I think he's a big credit for that because yeah. he, he, he just doesn't really want to go into those places, which is good. Do you look at John as a sort of mentor then? Were you, I mean, were you raised by him in that sense? No, I, I think Kevin Kugler has always been, him and Michael were the, the ones that I kind of considered more of mentors. And, and you know, I, I don't know if that's good or bad that like I've always viewed John as like a peer, but yeah. John I've always viewed as a peer. And may, I, I think it's because when I, when I was interning with Kevin and Michael, you know, I was so much younger. I was, you know, I guess, you know, a couple years younger than I was when I got the job early twenties and still in college. And so, you know, Kevin was always the guy that I looked up to. He was the, that show was the reason that I wanted to get into radio in the first place. But I always looked at John as more of a coworker and, and certainly I've, you know, I've leaned on him a ton over the years, but yeah, less, less of a mentor, you know, awkwardly and just more of a peer coworker. Yeah. Is there, I mean, is there anybody in the Nebraska sports media that you do gravitate towards because I know you know especially Nebraska fans we all have our own opinions and so Mm -hmm. we're always kind of probably seeking out ones that we agree with Mm -hmm. but there's so many out there that we're going to bump into ones we don't don't agree with I know listening to you guys on on your radio show you've kind of you've drawn me in because you know I tend to agree with you but even when I don't like I still find that your arguments are refreshing they're grounded in um, empirical evidence yeah and so is I mean are there other people in Nebraska media that you gravitate towards too even if you don't necessarily agree with them yeah I, I you know I, I take in a lot I read a lot of the 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 World Herald guys I read a lot of the you know I read Sipple I read Parker um, I, I read I read Schaefer Schaefer's one of my you know he's he's my best friend like in the media the people that I love reading the most I disagree with Sipple like all the time I but I read and I, I listen to, to his podcast I love talking to him even though you know once again we end up arguing like half the time uh, I think Sam Sam McEwen, he does an incredible job of being opinionated, but also kind of laying out, you know, just some some information. And so those are the the two guys that I that I, and I, I listen to Nick Bay, you know, I listen to his podcast still, and and you know, where you know we disagree right now, I think on on the direction of the program, but I do, I try, I try to listen and hear the viewpoints that I know that I don't have. Dirk, you know, I didn't mention Dirk. Dirk has been my, he was my favorite writer, you know, in college. He doesn't, you know, cover the team as much as he did back then. But that, that was somebody that I, and, and partly because I agreed with him on Bo Pelini, but I always gravitated <laughs> towards him. I always thought that he was very strong-willed. And plus, you know, I realized, I realized earlier this season, like, he was the same age that I am now when he was covering the Bo Pelini era. And so mm-hmm. I've, I've reached out to him. I've talked to him a couple of times just as, you know, I've, I've been uh, a little opinionated on what should happen with Scott Frost this season because he, he kind of went through that. Yeah. And, and I just kind of wanted to know, like, hey, you know, how, how did it go? And, you know, what would you do? What would you do differently? Yada, yada, yada. I think that's what makes the, the show work and, and the personalities work, though, is if you were covering that up when you were feeling it and trying to talk around it, mm-hmm. we as an audience would know. Sure. Yeah. And, and I, like I said, I have a differing point of view. I disagree on certain fronts, but I also am an engaged listener because of that. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's crucial. You have to have opposing points of view in order to almost own your own point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If, you, if you're just living in your own little, you know, uh, bubble of, of your opinion, first of all, it's not going to help you. You're not going to be, you know, be as informed as you could be otherwise, but it is good to understand 
what other people are thinking. You know, I, I don't just follow, you know, on Twitter, the, the writers. I've, there are fans that I, I've never met, you know, but mm-hmm. that listen to the show and, and that will disagree with me. But I, I try to remind myself of, you know, just all of the various viewpoints, the super homer all the way to maybe the, the most anti-Frost people or anti-Nebraska people that you can have, just because I think it's good to, to see, okay, what are they saying? What are they saying? What are they saying? And, and I think it helps me kind of shape my arg- arguments. Yeah, and you never know when you're going to come across a point where you're like, oh, Shit, I didn't think of that. No, yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I got an email from from a listener this morning about it was just a a, a note about hey, check this some you know this article out, and I saw I was like wow, like, it, it literally sparked an idea. I emailed myself a couple of times for the show tomorrow, and so yeah. I was like immediately. So I like I like that. I, I that that's you know I, I run a lot, and when I run, I don't listen to music. I listen to podcasts, and I do it because I, I tell myself like hey, I'm working because I kind of am. I I love hearing things that spark an idea. You know, I remember listening to, to Nick talk to Dirk one time earlier this season, and it gave me an idea for the show. I'm running, and I'm like, gosh, I still have 30 minutes before I'm home, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I'm just continuing to remind myself every, like, half second. Like, hey, don't forget this. Don't forget <laughs> yeah. this. I got home. I finished my run. I immediately emailed myself so I wouldn't, you know, forget what I wanted to say. When I run, my only thought every half second is breathe in. <laughs> breathe, breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Oh, God. <laughs> so I actually want to kind of jump off that last point you made where it's almost like work is inevitable in, in all facets of life for what you do. Yeah. So what does the off-air schedule for a personality like yourself, a radio personality, look like? And how much time do you spend prepping each show? And is it is it difficult to find that balance between watching sports for work versus watching them for entertainment? Like, how does that impact your life as a whole? Um, to the latter part first... It depends on what sports season it is. Uh, I would sit on my couch and watch college football and the NFL all day, no matter what I was going to do with my life. If I had a a nine to five, that is what I would do. College basketball is different. I don't really like college (laughs) basketball. Uh, So I will watch, I will watch Nebraska and I will watch Creighton. And that does feel more, more like work than, than, you know, football does once again, because football is my favorite sport. I like the NBA more than college basketball. So college basketball at times, it's like, this is not fun. I'm not having a good time, (laughs) but I need to do it so I can talk about it. Nebraska in particular with basketball. It can be a rough day. No, yeah, it feels yeah. like work. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in that Creighton game the other night, well, that wasn't a whole lot of, yeah, uh, of yeah. joy to watch either. So th- those 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 sports can <laughs> can feel like work. As far as like the 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 daily, you know, prep, I I I probably need to do a little bit better work life balance because I think about the show a lot. I I really I really think about you know what we can do better, what I can do better. But I, I normally wake up, you know, and 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 I start working. I don't know before eight o'clock. I just kind of sit down and and uh, you know bounce around, read a few websites, and and I. I usually I have a website, an app called Pocket, and that's how I save all my stuff. And so, you know, if a listener sends me a tweet that I'm like, that's pretty interesting, I'll just I'll just, you know, shoot it over to my Pocket account and I'll open up like if I wake up on a Monday, I'll have all these things like I'll just open all of them up to remind myself, OK, why, why did I want that? Why did I want that? So I have a Word doc and I just kind of throw things in there. I'll write down a couple of thoughts here and there. But it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of reading. Hey, did, did Chattel have something today? Did Sipple have something today? Did Sam have something today? Did Schaefer have something? You know, Sean Callan. And I just kind of run through. Was there a tunnel talk? And so I just go through all of those things. And, and so I usually end up working, you know, a couple of hours, eight to ten, having my coffee, have a pot of coffee. And then I'll usually work out. And, and I had this old boss named Dave Tepper. He's out in Denver now. 
And one of the things that he told me a few years ago, he left for Denver in 2018, was about like working out and how good that that can be. Because apparently a lot of people in our industry don't really work out. And so he's like, it just gets your blood pumping, it gets your mind working. And so I really, I don't work out at night anymore. I, I work out mostly in the morning. And so that's really good. And so, you know, I'll have some local podcasts that I'll listen to or like a national podcast that I listen to. I listen to a lot of college football stuff. And so I'll go out and then I'll come back and I'll get cleaned up. And then I just kind of dive right back into it. I'm working around lunch and, and all. And so I ended up going to the office about 1, 1.30, you know, for the 2 o'clock show. I, I used to get there super early. And I remember my, my old boss, Dave, he asked me one time because, I like, that week I think I'd gotten in at 10.30 and then 12 and then, like, 10.30 and then 1. And he's like, why do you why do you come in early sometimes and why don't you? And I said, well, I just don't want you to think that I'm not working hard if I'm not at home. And he's like, Josh, you can show up at 159. I don't really care. <laughs> he's like, as long as the show's good, as long as you're doing your job. And so I do that because our office, it's a radio station. It's loud. A lot of people, you know, are chatting about various things and I would rather not deal with that. And so yeah. I hang out at home. I work in silence. I don't listen to anything when I'm working. And so you know, and then I get off work and, you know, depending on what type, you know, if there's a basketball game on that night, I'll go home and watch the basketball game or sometimes, you know, sometimes I just unplug and I'll go to a movie or I'll, I'll record the game or whatever like that. But yeah, I mean, it's, I really, I really do think about, about the show probably at an unhealthy level. And I, I think, you know, especially football, football season every year I, I it, it starts and I like forget, oh, that's right. I just like stopped doing things. I've, I haven't read a book. I haven't read a full book since August. Um, you know, I haven't really watched a whole lot of movies. There's a couple shows that I'm watching, which is good. It, it's a reminder of like, oh, that's right. As much as I love the, I love football season. There's like too much though. Like we don't talk about as much as I would like just because, especially in a season like this yeah. where the team's falling mm -hmm. apart. It's like, man, I watched all that college football and I, I would love to give, you know, many more opinions on Ohio State and Michigan, but here we yeah. are. Yeah. So how would you describe your on-air personality? I mean, is there, is there anything that you're pulling back from, from you yourself or are you pretty transparent as far as who you are on the air? I'd like to think that I'm, you know, as close to myself as, as possible. Uh, the way I describe myself when I was younger, and I think that it still would fit today, is that on the air, I'm like 11, 11 out of 10 of myself. I, I dial up, like, I know that I'm a weirdo with food and stuff. I, I don't, I wouldn't hide that though. Um, or I, I rather, I say it on the air because I know that it's funny, you know, and I know yep. it's like, oh, Josh used to dip his chicken in vinegar. Like, I didn't have to say that, but I knew that it'd be funny. And I knew that yeah. people would be like, what the hell's wrong with you? And that's, I mean, people still bring it up all the time. And so I, I definitely dial up a lot of my strangeness for the sake of the show. And I think that it really works. But you, you are, what, what you are hearing of me, the only difference between me on the air and off the air is I cuss a lot more off the air than I do <laughs> on the air. And so that would be the biggest difference between me, you know, there versus, you know, where, what I'm like just hanging out with my friends. As, as far as my opinions go, I do kind of workshop a lot of things mentally before perhaps I'll bring it out. Like earlier this season, so for the record, I want Scott Frost fired. Uh, so earlier this <laughs> season, yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I was trying to remember the first time that I told somebody, I don't think Frost is a good coach. So I never delete my text. So I have all these text messages. So I just go on my, on my phone and I search, you know, fire, or I think the phrase I, I used was bad coach or whatever it was. And I found this text that I sent somebody in November of last year. And I'd actually been ruminating on it a little bit longer. The, the Colorado game in 2019 was kind of the, that was the first like, oh, that was the first crack for me. Yeah. Like, hmm, yeah. Maybe this isn't working well. The Minnesota game that year really concerned me. And by the end, when they were under 500, I was like, wow, this is, this is really bad. And, and la as last year, so I think the text last year was like early November. So this is after the Ohio State game. And, and I, I told somebody, I don't think he's a good coach. 
I think he's actually, and I think I said, I think he's actually a bad coach. And <laughs> it took me a while to say that on the air, you know, because I wanted to make sure that I, I felt really strongly when I was doing so. I, I thought going into this, this most recent season, it seems like I'm going against the grain. And I remember saying it, you know, on the air or off the air. Like, I felt like an asshole at times because everyone else is, is, was way over here. And I felt like this one person. Yeah. And I'm like, am I missing something? Or it, it, are people not saying their, their actual opinions and thoughts on this? And I was very, I was in a way surprised and kind of taken aback. And so th- this year, maybe more than ever, I really wanted to make sure that, that what I felt about the program, I didn't want to sugarcoat it. I mean, honestly, if anything, I kind of did. When I said five and seven, I was really leaning four and eight. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a little softer, a little softer on this prediction because maybe they'll pull off an upset. But I mean, I have, I have, I have empirical data. I have evidence. You know, I, I had a conversation with a friend in June where I said, yeah, if they lose that Illinois game, three and nine is on the table. And, you know, here, and, and I said they would lose the Illinois game, and I, I didn't pull the trigger on saying three and nine or, or even four and eight. So, uh, long-winded answer, yes, I'm basically the same person I am <laughs> on the air as I am off the air. I'm maybe just, you know, I lean into my, my uh, weirdness a tad bit more. Yeah. Is it hard to be out there on an island, or was it? I mean, I'm sure now you're, you've got a, a few more people on board, obviously, yeah. but yeah. at that time, was it hard to stick to your guns? Yeah, I'll, it wasn't hard to stick with my guns, but it definitely was. It was hard at times, and and this season's been maybe the hardest, you know, so far. And I, you know, you know, people don't need to cry for me, but it's just been it's been kind of a shit show <laughs> at times. But yeah, it, it, and I remember having conversations with with media members off the air about things, and I'm like, what you know, what am I missing? And sometimes like you know, you're missing this and this and this and this, and, and none of those things have have come to fruition. But yeah, it, I, I I say what I believe, and and I think that that's the thing that that you know, that I've continued to tell myself, and I've had a few people reach out to me during the season and say, like, I appreciate you being this honest, you know? I appreciate you, you know, standing behind what you believe. And so I just, I really wanted to make sure that I did that. You know, not, not to plant my flag first, because I didn't really care about that. I, I really, I thought more people would join me by now. And they have, John has. And I think if you listen to Michael, it's pretty obvious, severe uh, in the morning. I think it's pretty obvious how he believed. Now, I haven't talked to him off the air. Like, do you think Frost should be fired? So I have no idea. I'm guessing he would say yes. But for the most part, it seems like people are still like, can you believe they lost to Purdue? And it's like, yeah, I can. I said they would. I'm not surprised by this at all. So yeah, it's been, it's been very strange. Because I thought really by now that there would be this collective like acknowledgement of, yeah, this is who they are. And it's like, hey, maybe they'll pull off the upset against Wisconsin. I'm like, okay, yeah. Maybe they it's, will. You know, it's it's tough because I have these these conflicting points of view as well, where mm-hmm. it's like, man, I really this would make for such a great story if he were to climb out yeah. and 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 move forward and win. And we just as Nebraskans, we just we just want that feel good story. And so now I've kind of put my trust in like, was Frost the Nebraskan savior we expected him to be, or Trev's back? Is Trev <laughs> now our Nebraskan savior yeah. that we were looking for? And like, hey, maybe him leading these changes with Scott and kind of guiding him. We talked about it on the last episode that uh, that. Bill Moose wasn't necessarily that mentor. He was just that guy who was going to let you go. Yeah. And, and now that to me is the change that I'm hanging my hat on, right? Is now we've got someone in power mm-hmm. in Trev who is going to provide legitimate feedback to Frost and have those hard conversations. And so that's that's kind of my, okay, that's the last act, yeah. right? Before the sequel or whatever comes. If, if Trev can really be that leader that Frost needs and help him become the leader he's he thinks he is. Yeah. That that's it. That's what I've got to hang my hat on. And after that, I'm kind of like, well, shit. I don't have anything else. Yeah. Like, there's nothing else because, yeah, it's it, it's, it's hope. It's hope. It's for about you, hope. You it want really the is. fairy tale ending. You that's all you want. But 
ultimately what we want is to fucking win games. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where it, it doesn't comes matter down to. who, who the coach is. Yeah. And so I think we've lost sight of that because we did have an opportunity to have the fairy tale. And it's like, we could just have a good story here. Guys. Here's, here's where it'd be a real fairy tale, right? Is Frost has his national championship. Trev doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, who knows if we'll ever get back to that kind of relevancy. I don't live in that la la land that we're going to wind up back yeah. in that national relevancy that we're going to make a, a, the four team playoff or even the 12 team playoff, but that we might win a division and that we might start building back that way. And so I, I do, I hang my hope on the fact that maybe Trev is the prodigal son returned as opposed to maybe Scott wasn't, or Trev can help lead him there. And really it's going to, the credit's going to go to him. Yeah. And it'll, it'll be hard, you know, I mean, you just think about people and how we are as humans. And yeah. I know that I'm really stubborn in, in, in certain ways. And I can say, like, oh, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder in, in whatever aspect of life it is. But it's hard. It's, yeah. it's, it's hard to change. It's hard to change who you are. And there, there would be, you know, you get, get the right former Husker around and you get the right amount of alcohol in them. And, and they'll tell you this is not a surprise at all. Um, you know, and then you'll get some others who are like, I think that, that, you know, a tiger can change its stripes. If you're, cause he's, he's probably like a, he's a person that wants to have control. He's a person that yep. wants to, you know, lead the charge and be successful. It's going to be hard to be that hands off manager type person. Yeah. I just, if, it's, <laughs> if it's not in you, it's not in you. And, yeah. and honestly, like, even if he's capable of it, is he going to enjoy it? Yeah. I hope that I, you know, cause right now, you know, you talk about hope. It's like, I, I hope that Scott Frost is able to do something that he has never done and doesn't want to do and that that's going to be the difference in winning and losing. Because I would ask, can, let's, let's say he embraces being a CEO head coach. Can he do it well? You know, like that, it's one thing to say, I'm going to do this job. You know, okay, great. But then can you do that job well? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and he's never done it before. I mean, I, I look at special teams and those failures and I say, I don't know if he can be a CEO. It's like, do you want him to embrace special teams more? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Well, I mean, to be fair, that was the specialist's fault, not his. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you have to look at how far he's allowed things to really slide before it's come to a breaking point. Yeah. And he's like, okay, maybe I should change. Yeah, you know, I mentioned that 2019 season and there was a lot of moments where I just kind of eventually, like, they broke me and I was like, I can't just do this anymore. And, and I, it was the quote, was it the Wisconsin game where, you know, they're like, what happened on that kickoff return? He's like, I don't know. I was with the offense. It's like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. you know, that was one of those, whoa, moments right. for me. And, and it's funny, you know, there, there are certain things that happen or are said, and I, I think that we blow them up way too much. And then there are other things where I'm like, we're not talking about that enough. And I think that quote, like that quote got a lot of run and rightfully so. In a way, I think we probably could have talked about it even more. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so here's here's a question. So now that Frost is set to return in the 2022 season yeah. with an overhauled offensive coaching staff, what results are necessary for you personally to believe the program is heading in the right direction? And can you buy into this before results or are you just 100% at this point results driven? Uh, for me, it's definitely about results. I think, I have a theory, John has a theory, and he, he was the one who said this first. I think it's a, a pretty smart one that this is not about one year. It's going to be about two. Yeah. Two more years, which... <laughs> cool. Um, but, and so if, if that theory is right, the number that I am putting on the next two seasons is 16 total regular season wins to show me. And that's not to say, that's not my expectation. My expectation would probably be like 11, you know, or 10, probably 10, 10 or 11, it, you know, cause I guess if it's 11, that means one year they get to six. So I'll say 10. And so that would be what I would actually predict them to do. That would be maybe my ceiling. Um, but if, if they're going to show me that they are actually moving in the right direction, it would be some combination of, of, of 
16 total wins. And so that could be two, eight and fours, which I don't think is likely. That could be a seven and five and then a nine and three. Because I think that that would, look, if they went seven and five and then nine and three, or heck, even six and six and 10 and two, that would be legitimate signs of growth because that would require a bull in the, in the first year if it's a seven and five, six and six scenario. And then definitely, I mean, you're, you're contending for the division at nine and three, 10 and two. And so that would say to me, okay, there's actual growth. There's a little bit of growth one year, and then there's a lot more growth the next year. So they, they would need to do that. But if, if I'm honest, man, if, if they go eight and four in 2022, I'm not just going to be like, everything's fine. Right. I want I need to see it over the course of two seasons. And it is, it is that, that schedule in 2022, a lot of people are looking at that saying, well, that's a lighter schedule. There's no mm-hmm. Ohio state on that schedule. Rutgers is back on it. Rutgers is back. Rutgers is not hey, looking Rutgers, terrible. Hey, they're one win away from a bowl game. Yeah. 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 And Shiano's done a good job with that, with that team. Yep. But I, I agree with you there that it, it can't be just about a single season and be like, okay, Hey, we're back. It's like, well, you still haven't hit you. You haven't hit peak Mike Riley. Yeah. If you're an eight and four. Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. You, you, yeah. you haven't even hit that mark. And yeah. so what if he got lucky in a run of games? The fact is he's still won nine games. Yeah. And, and Frost hasn't gotten there yet. Yeah. But so. what scares me is that if you do have a semi-successful next year is that everybody's going to buy back in so hard that even if there's a small dip in that second year. Mm hmm it's going to be hard to let him go at that point. That's why I would love to know, you know, we got the contract, the new contract details on Friday. Yeah. And I and there was the, the part in there about them having to reach, you know, I don't remember the vernacular, but basically they have to reach a benchmark that we don't know about right now. Right. I would love to know. I would love to know. <laughs> I would do so much to find out, is that a pure wins and losses? Yeah. Is it a, a finish in the conference? Is it a bowl game? Because I, I think if we... if. And I tried to explain this on, on, on Sports My Conduct on Friday. I think if we found out what the what the data is that they need to reach, I think that would tell us if he's legitimately on the hot seat in 2022 or if it, if it is the theory of two years. Because let's let's pretend that you know the number that they need to reach is six wins. So they need to go to a bowl game. And that gets an auto bonus for him and an extended year. That would say, okay, they're, they're really doing whatever they can to keep him for the long term. Yeah. But if let's pretend it's a nine-win season. That's what kicks in, you know. That would say, hmm, maybe maybe it's a bit more of a hot seat than, than we thought it was. Not to mention too the the part about the uh, the first six games of the season or the October first date rather. Yeah. Where if if they fire him before October first, which October first is the day of the sixth game of the season, they would own the full buyout. That that is still built in there. It, it tells me that that maybe that's not entirely off the table, but maybe I'm just reading too much into things. No, I mean I think that's a definite point to look into. Is it feels like okay if Nebraska's five and one, four and two going into that, that's when that incentive, because then you're building some serious momentum and that's a start Nebraska hasn't gotten off to under Scott Frost. Shoot, winning the first game would be unprecedented almost. The fact that that's in Ireland, you know, that they did that and, and, you know, that was still in the Bill Moose era and they didn't, you know, I don't think they they thought that the team was going to go three and nine or four and eight or five and seven again, but that that game is in Ireland and then they don't have a bye before their next two. I mean, we're really looking down the barrel at another very similar start where they lose to a division foe. They have a couple of games against teams. Nobody cares about and they get wins and then Oklahoma and it's like are we going to be talking about the same a two and two team again you know I know it, yeah. it's like Groundhog Day all over again like I'm trying still to hold on to this hope that I have yeah good good luck can't good wait for luck. the offseason there's no point like stop just stop my <laughs> there's thing is no point like, like wait, stop letting wait go until I get or, to my prediction because yes. I still have hope in my <laughs> prediction Jesus all right for no other reason than I can't bring my heart to just not have it like Nebraska- I think that's the problem I know so Nebraska's in a really really unique situation here right 
We're trying something unprecedented. We're admitting that this is probably a dumb idea, but we're doing it because the fan base is is clean. Is, they're clinging to hope. Mm-hmm. So much of them are clinging to hope, while while everybody else is just like, nah, fuck it. Like, let's move. Let's just move on. We're mm-hmm. good. We're good. We tried it. We wanted it too, but it's not working. Do you think that Nebraska is a unique fan base? Do you, are there are there things about Nebraska's fans that that really set them apart? And then there are there things that we're we're kind of the same as other people that we just don't realize. Um, it's it's a it's a good question. Are you talking about it in, in like this specific scenario that and we're watching? It doesn't have to be in, in this specific scenario. We we always set ourselves apart yeah. as, you know, the greatest fans in, in the sport. And so, you know, we do have that ego going about us. Oh, yeah. Right? And, yeah. and so I think maybe we're blind to some of, of what makes us unique or what doesn't set us apart, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I would love to know, you know, what happened with the Oklahoma fan base and the Alabama fan base as they kind of went into to mediocre and really, we'll be honest, similar type seasons as Nebraska's had recently um, because both teams went back to the well of uh, an alum. I don't, I don't know if John Blake, if they, if they thought he was going to be the answer like we did with Scott Frost. I mean, I don't know if, you know, Mike Shula was going to be the guy to turn things around. I don't know if they thought that way at, at Alabama, but it's pretty interesting that those schools went through a very similar thing, very proud fan bases, you know, very proud programs. And so my guess is, you know, because I've, I've basically lived in Nebraska my entire life. This is the fan base that I know better than anybody's. I'm guessing that this fan base is very similar to those blue blood programs. You know, I, I throw Ohio State in there, but they like never suck. So it doesn't really matter for them. <laughs> Michigan, I think that I think that there there is a lot of similarities of, you know, giving leeway to somebody that played, you know, a, a big part of your program. I mean, I, we're seeing that with Michigan and Harbaugh, although they've had a really good bounce back season. We saw that with Oklahoma. We saw that with Alabama. You know, I, it's funny. Randomly, a couple nights ago, I, I decided to, to watch the very beginning of Saban's introductory press conference. And it, it, it was a local news broadcast, so it had like five minutes of just this random anchor. And he was talking about the weird end of the season and the firing of Shula and just how frustrating it was for the fans. And, you know, you, I mean, go look at their record. They sucked. You know, they were a bad program. And yet it seemed like they were dealing with a lot of the same stuff that we are right now, where it's like, he's not going to make a bull game in year four. And yet there are a lot of people that are like, let's, let's sign up for this one more time. And so in the end, I think that Nebraska is very similar to, to, you know, a lot of other programs. I really do. What worries me, just to kind of like piggyback on that, what worries me is that we are close. And if we fired Frost now, we could find that guy that would get us over the hump. We could go from the Don Shula to the Nick Saban, and I think we're missing that opportunity. Yeah, all I'm hearing is like we should go get Nick Saban. Is <laughs> yes. that what you're saying? Yeah, Sign, just go hey. find the next Saban. Sign how me hard, up. How yeah. hard is it? Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it is it is tough, and it's like, man, why do I feel this way? But there's just this. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, let's let's move on. Let's move away from that conversation now that we've spent 45 minutes in it. <laughs> I want to talk about Big Red overreaction. Oh, because for one. It's, it's the best thing, I think, about Husker football. <laughs> it is constantly ripe with some of the best, worst takes yep. and the worst, best takes. Um, after the Akron rainout, Drew and I were at the Akron rainout, and we stayed as long as we could. My wife was like, hey, they said they're going to schedule this game for yeah, Sunday morning. Yeah, She's I like, remember that. I already got a babysitter and everything like that. Why don't you guys get a hotel? Stay? Like, She was trying to like Beautiful keep, support, a, yeah, good marriage. keep us down there. <laughs> yeah. And then we're, we're like walking back to the car. We're, we're drenched because we stayed. We were dancing in the rain. We were... You know, playing along the Thunderdome, we were like, this game's going to happen. It's going to start at midnight. Fucking awesome. Yeah. After that rainout, one caller called in and said that this lightning storm would have never happened under Mike Riley <laughs> and provided, like, the much-needed laugh. Yeah. They were obviously sarcastic, but most aren't. 
what is the craziest fan interaction you've had while hosting that show? Or if one doesn't come to mind, just one of the craziest reactions or takes you've had from a fan due to Nebraska football? Um, so I wasn't on the show, but there was, after Mike Riley's first loss in his first game against BYU, there was a caller, his name's Peterson, and he, he called in, and he was just ripped. He was so drunk. And that was a 2.30 game, so I mean it's 6 o'clock. <laughs> and he, he, he was blaming us. He was blaming me in particular. Josh said this. Josh said this. And so that, that was, that's always one that, that sticks with me. The, the, the craziest call that I can remember was not on overreaction. It was on a sportsman conduct where this guy named Scotty called in, and he went on this three-minute rant and included stuff about the Marshall plane crash. And Yeah, it was, it was insane. It was insane. We still have the full call, like, somewhere in our system. And we, you know, there's this part where he says it still brings a tear to my eye. And, like, we're literally, I'm literally crying listening to it because it was just so funny. So that's the call that I always think of. Um, because it was just so off the wall bonkers. You know, typically on, on overreaction, it seems like every other episode that I do, it's like, hey, bring back the fullback. You know, it's, it's those yeah. typical, hey, what, you know, why, why can't they run the ball more? Yada, yada, yada. But that, that call from Scotty is always the one that I think of. What, what was that in reference? Like- uh, so we had Jason Peter on in the segment before, and I don't remember, I, he just, you know, probably was just being Jason Peter. And, yeah. and it was this 2015. And it got Scotty really fired up. I don't know why he brought up Marshall. I have no idea. It, it didn't make any sense to us at the time. Um, but we just let him go. And then I had to do a, a, an endorsement read like right after. And it's like, this is really fun. You know, like, what do I, how am I supposed to do this? And so that, that call was absolutely ridiculous. Is he a, like a repeat call? No, he, I've never, I haven't heard from him since, you know. Someone a, took his phone away. They were probably. Like, you can't do this I again. hope that Scotty's still alive. I mean, we, we've had a rough uh, year and a half here, you know, in the world. And I hope that Scotty's doing okay. Oh man! All right, we're gonna we're gonna step away from the football chat and we're gonna talk about beer here for a minute because this is really great timing. I think with with what's going on at sixteen twenty, the zone they're coming out with their very own beer. Mm-hmm. It's a Bach. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can you tell us about this project? Where did the idea originate? Did you get to collaborate, or who are you collaborating with? Um, and then how much uh, of the planning and design do you have your hand in? So I don't know how much I can say. I know that it, it's a, a station in Iowa that is under the umbrella of NRG Media. So they, they did something first. So they did Ooh. something with Millstream. Okay. And so, um, you know, us being the beer show, the One Beer Friday, all that stuff, our boss, you know, called us in the office recently and, and he had a conversation about it. And, and he was like, hey, give us some name ideas. And so we, you know, we did. And, and so he took some of those and, and, uh, and then I think he had one or two of his own. And so he ended up throwing it on the website. You know, I don't, I honestly have no idea what's going to win. I haven't asked uh, our promotions person, you know, what the voting is. I like, look, I like One Beer Friday the most. I don't know if that's going to be the one um, just because it's very, show specific i think that he wants more of a zone one and that's why i think 1620 the beer is like a really fun name and plus we have the logo and so you just take out zone and put in beer and so uh yeah i think it's gonna be really cool i've wanted to do this for a while i was in the minneapolis in october because i ran a marathon up there and we ended up going to this german beer hall and oddly enough they had all these glasses with this this station you know logo all over them something the fan and I'm like, man, that's but what I wanted to do. Two weeks later, my boss is like, hey, we're doing a beer. And it's like, this is perfect because that's what I want to do. Like, get our logo out there. Get it in stores. Get it at bars. Get it at breweries. You know, uh, print up breweweries. But get it at bars. Get it at, at stores. You know, and never's going to hurt anything. Plus, we all love beer. So, yeah. Yeah, it's know. a fun idea. Yeah, have I you, think it's an awesome idea. Have you heard any of the names or do you have any favorites that you've... I like sixteen twenty the beer um, the most. We met fans submitted once. If oh, you've heard of any of those, no, no, because it, it was kind of him just like taking our recommendations. There, there was the write in. Yeah, I haven't seen the write ins of oh, okay. uh, of what the other ones are. Gotcha. What, what was your write in? Run the damn Bach. 
Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Mine was uh, illegal Bach in the back. Oh, that's uh, good. So those are really good. Those are better gotta, than a lot of the ones we came. You got to ride the pun pretty hard. No Bach, yeah. no rock. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Well, before we dive in and talk about Wisconsin, we are going to say goodbye to Josh. We really appreciate him swinging in to the Zipline Beer Lounge and having a nice conversation with us about his career, about football, <laughs> about uh, how we all feel about Scott Frost. And, yeah. and so on. It's been a lot of fun, Josh. We really appreciate you. Yeah, guys, out. I really appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I listen to a lot of podcasts and there are, I mean, it's amazing. Some of the national ones where it's like, oh, you guys are just literally recording this right into Zoom. The production quality, very good. Like, oh. I'm serious, man. And I, I don't mean to come off flippant. It's it's really good. And I, I really enjoyed the uh, the conversation today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate it. We yeah. don't know how to do it any other way. We yeah. kind of made it up as we go. And, and it it works for us, but we're fortunate enough to have guys like you on the show and, and stop in for a guest spot, especially on the bye week. I know that it's kind of a week off almost for you guys. So well, it would have been, and then the new, <laughs> and then all the news came down. It's like okay, you know, which was good because the first bye week was so boring, and and I wanted more content, and it was almost like everybody was kind of taking vacations. This week, I guess at least if, if anything's going to happen, at least there's it's good for us in the content game. So our, thank you, Trev. Yeah, thanks, Trev. Thank you. Trev. Our, our last bye week, we actually just got really drunk and interviewed each other. That oh, was our per- episode. Perfect. Yeah. And. Uh, this is a definite upgrade, I yeah. think, for everybody. Yeah, this is a much better interview than, than learning more. So, Josh, thank you so much for stopping by uh, Zipline. We're going to send Josh out of here with some Zipline beer uh, for him to go on and enjoy the rest of the Sunday afternoon lineup of football. Oh, I definitely will. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you. Josh. All right. Before we move on to Wisconsin, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. The craft beer industry has a $6 million impact in Nebraska alone. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local small businesses, something that's important now more than ever. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information. You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. So, Drew, we sent Josh home with a nice, full growler of Zipline beer, but we are still hanging out to talk Wisconsin. Before we dive into that, let's talk about the beers we have in front of us. Go ahead and tell me what you are drinking from Zipline. All right, so I am not heeding Josh's warning, and I jump back into a second <laughs> hazy. This one's uh, Zipline's newest one. It's called Hazy Heart IPA. Um, it's also an, an orangey kind of flavor to it, but this one doesn't have the same like tropical brightness from from the hops. It's a little bit more of like that bitter rind kind of flavor oh, okay. to it. Um, so still very very hop forward, still that same sort of mouthfeel, like a creamsicle type beer, but just it doesn't it doesn't pop with the same tropical notes. So it's it's a little bit different, and so that's where you can see where you've got one brewer making two you know similar style or the same style, but just kind of a variance and and how you can explore it. A style. And that's the way to drink multiple hazies, right? Is try and find the variance. Yes. You're going to have a yeah. similar maybe base note, but then how does that differentiate beer to beer? Yeah, and I don't I don't normally go for for two of the same style back to back just because, you know, I like to I like to vary it up, but again, this is their new one. I haven't had it yet. Um, I got ahead of myself choosing the other <laughs> hazy because I was so excited to, to give it a try. Um, but it's it's fun too to, to go back to back just to compare. Yeah. Like I said. So I have in front of me kind of a unique beer for being at a beer lounge, something that you can only get at the Zipline Brewery itself. 
and that is the New Zealand Dry Hopped Dang. Now, Dang is a very popular IPA that it's a good one. Zipline has available in bottles, in cans, and at their brew houses. This is on cask. So what that means is it's an uncarbonated version of this beer that receives its carbonation through the handle pull. It's like an old school brown handle that they have in the brewery like you would find at an English pub and that's how it carbonates the beer. What's amazing about this beer is you get the carbonation hit on the front end instead of like the back end or as it crosses your tongue. It's great. I mean, it's all the same notes that you would expect from Dang where it's tropical it's giving you a lot of those fruity IPA notes, and then the dry hop just finishes out and balances that sweetness, but it's also very light because it is kind of lacking that carbonation, and it's an IPA, which is already a light beer. Man, this is a really great hit and something that's kind of nice to have at a brewery where it's like, I can only get this here at this table. Yeah, it's fun and different. Absolutely. And, and so, yeah, if you if you, if you come on out, get it while you can. They're happy to give out a sample. They, yeah. They were kind enough to let me pull the handle. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Like a, like a kid in a candy store or a kid at a brewery, which is right where kids should be. <laughs> All right. So shall we dive into some Wisconsin? Let's do it. Let's talk some football. All right. So we'll start with just the facts as we always do. On Saturday, November 20th, Nebraska will head to Madison, Wisconsin to take on the University of Wisconsin Badgers in the penultimate game of the season. The Huskers enter this game with a 3-7 and seven record after their 26-17 loss to Ohio State. Nebraska is led by head coach Scott Frost in his fourth season at the helm. Wisconsin comes into this matchup with a record of 7-3 after defeating the Northwestern Wildcats with a score of 35-7. The Badgers are led by head coach Paul Christ in his seventh season at Wisconsin. Kickoff is scheduled for 2.30 p.m. Central Time and will air on either ESPN or ABC. We don't know just yet as of this recording. And also, as of this recording, the spread is undefined. Drew, any thoughts on what that spread should be? I, I honestly don't so bad at picking spreads, but I do know this. Wisconsin is trending up, yep. and Nebraska is treading water. Up as well. <laughs> what did you say? I'm sorry. I didn't. I, we're treading water. Yes. At, that is at best. That is very true. I wouldn't be surprised if this spread is under a touchdown the way that Nebraska has played all season. I also would not be surprised if this spread is 10.5 or higher if Vegas is concerned that Nebraska just may not be in this game. Without an offensive staff against the number one defense, yeah, I could see that that spread kind of growing. I, I mean, the over-under is going to be low as hell. Yeah. That I can probably safely say. Well, yes, it'll it'll probably be below, what, 50? Yeah, oh yeah like, yeah, like 44 maybe. Wisconsin's capable of putting up points, which we'll talk about. Yeah, but Nebraska's got a good D. They so. do. Great D. Great let's, D in Nebraska. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Well, first we get to talk about my favorite subject, special teams. Drew, do you have anything on Wisconsin special teams? I just did like a whipping motion at you. <laughs> That's weird. Get yeah. me going. Yeah. Um, so one one thing I want to talk about is their return game. So they they've got they actually have a special teams coordinator, which is something Nebraska was What's has that? been. Yeah, we've been pining for. His name's Chris Herring. He's been there for uh, I think this is his seventh year. So two times in his tenure, he's had Wisconsin ranked in the top ten in the same season in both kick returns and kick return defense, which is not an easy task, I imagine. This year, however, they're 66th in return defense and 127th in kickoff returns. So you pair that with a with a ranking of 106th in punt returns. This is not a dangerous return team. This is an opportunity for Pristop and Frankie to help control the field position game, which is going to be critical, I think. And yeah. So if, if they can keep Wisconsin deep in their own territory to start drives and really make them earn 
every point that they get, that's going to be very helpful because we know Nebraska's offense is going to struggle. Yeah, that's a great point. And that actually bounces off what I'm bringing to the table with Wisconsin special teams. And that's that their best weapon on special teams is their punter. And his name is Andy Volnovich. Now, Volnovich averages 45 yards per kick uh, with nine punts of 50 yards or more. So this guy has a leg. He's got a leg that's capable of flipping the field and giving Wisconsin's defense plenty of room to go to work, which we all know when we get into it. Wisconsin has a very stout defense, and they've come to life in these past seven games. Connor Schlichting is Wisconsin's backup punter. He's not as effective as Volnovich, but his name is equally difficult to pronounce. <laughs> so I just thought he was worth a mention. He's had a few kicks out there. He averages about 35 yards a kick. So if for whatever reason Volnovich is injured, Schlichting will come in. <laughs> and if these just aren't the most, like, northern... This is... Yeah. Volnovich and Schlichting is like the Elvis and Costello of Eastern Europe. Yeah. So special teams, then, we're, we're kind of on the same, same page, just different sides of the coin. I'm talking about that they're really good at kicking the ball. But they're not so great at bringing the ball back down the field. They're actually taking maybe a Nebraska approach, which is fair catch it, take the field position, and just don't lead to turnovers in dangerous territory. Yeah, they understand what their strengths are, which is defense, and they understand what their weaknesses are, which had been, you know, previous to their past couple games, offense. Yeah. And so they're they're playing to that. I think they're playing smart. They're just saying, hey, we're gonna we're gonna take the ball where we get it, and then we're gonna you know do what we can, and we're gonna lean on our D. That's a great point, Drew. I completely lost my thought like midway through that it's sentence. Okay. Like I took a sip of beer. I was like, yeah. Drew's got a really good point. I've got something that I want to add to that. And then I took that and like, I <laughs> let that sip that. process. <laughs> Drew's got a really good point. I'm going to let that process and let's move into talking about Nebraska's <laughs> offense versus Wisconsin's defense. Mind you as well, we are in a beer lounge. So you may hear some noises where it's an active yeah. and open beer lounge. And that's, that's the nice. beauty of this. It's like yeah. talking football with your best friend at the bar. All right, let's dive into Nebraska's offense versus Wisconsin's defense. Drew, what do you got? Well, I've got, a, I've got a couple of things. So, obviously, we know that Nebraska's offense has been not great this year, and it's led to the firing of, of their pretty much their entire staff. Um, and now they're going into a game against what's the number one defense in the nation. And that's not just the best de- – they're the best defense. That's not hyperbole. That's They're statistically number one. So, I'm looking at red zone scoring for Nebraska's offense. Yeah. Um, we know that once we get there, we really struggle to, to get into the end zone. We're 50% on the year. We're 22 of 44, which is just atrocious. Wisconsin doesn't even allow teams to get into the red zone, right? So they're, they are, again, number one in the nation. They've only allowed opponents to get to the red zone 15 times this year. Ugh. Yeah, it's brutal. The only, so the only teams that are even close to them are Georgia and Michigan, both at number two with uh, 16 opportunities for opponents. And so I kind of looked at that and, and thought, like, okay, we've played Michigan. What do we do against them? We actually got into Michigan's, uh, inside Michigan's 20-yard line three times. Which, you know, relative to how they did the rest of the season, that's pretty good. Twice we did it on sustained, sustained drives. The other time was on an interception from McNamara. We converted 14 points out of that. Um, and then we had a turnover on downs. And then I started digging deeper. I was like, well, who else on Nebraska's schedule has, has been great at limiting opponents, you know, driving down the field? And another one is Minnesota. They're the next closest in the Big Ten. Uh, opponents have gotten into the red zone 21 times. Nebraska made it down there five times. That's a that's a, almost a quarter of a of all of the opportunities in one game for Nebraska. Nebraska can move the ball. We know this. It's once they get down there, they can't convert. The thing that worries me, again, with all this this turnover from the coaching staff, is whether we're going to be able to actually even move the ball, mm-hmm. let alone score. Yeah, and that's a fair concern. When you look at Wisconsin as a defense, they have an incredibly violent, 
linebacker core, which is kind of, you could say that about Wisconsin any year, but this year in particular, that's almost where they make their hay. We've talked a lot about Nebraska's defense, how that defensive line really is what sets up the entire defensive scheme. With Wisconsin, it's their linebacking core and the way that that matches up. If you watch Wisconsin versus Northwestern, you saw their linebackers constantly making plays in the backfield. Northwestern wasn't able to even get the ball back to the line of scrimmage, let alone gain yards. They were losing yards. In their wins, Wisconsin averages over 30 yards of negative yardage with most of that coming from linebacker play. So 30 yards of lost yards, 28 of that is linebackers. When it comes to Nebraska's offense, you need to take those linebackers out of the game. And the best way, I think, to do that and to move the ball down the field on a defense that's very difficult to move the ball is to take a page out of Jeff Brom's book with Purdue and the way that Purdue beat Nebraska, which is chunk yards. Five, six, seven-yard passes, quick-release passes, guys who are running button routes that just turn around, catch the ball, and take the yardage before they're tackled. Don't try and do too much. Don't try and overextend yourself. And with the way that Nebraska's offensive line is playing, you're not going to run the ball very effectively, especially without your offensive line coach and your running backs coach (laughs) and your running game coordinator. All of that is kind of gone to shit. So use what you have. You've got Xavier Betts. You've got Omar Manning. You've got Austin Allen. You've got big body receivers with great hands. Take advantage of them. Put them in situations where they can catch the ball and get little yardage. And don't try and go for the deep passes until you have the time from those linebackers kind of now having to play that section of the field. Yeah, and that's and that's something that I I don't see Nebraska doing because they haven't done it yet. I know that's the I mean, that's you could say that about just about any conference game this year, right? Like that's the way to attack this defense is to just take what you can get from them. Mm-hmm. You know, Wisconsin's the same. They they're not going to give you yards on the ground, you know, but they're not and they're not going to give you yards through the air either. Well, see, now I would I would argue that they could give you yards through the air, but that their linebacker core is not going to give Adrian Martinez time or whoever's back there, a quarterback, to throw the ball. That's why it needs to be quick. This needs to be a quick strike game where you're not trying to take deep shots, but you're just trying to get it so that that pressure on the quarterback is lessened. Yeah. The, the pressure on the running back is lessened. It's almost like the pass game in this game, the quick routes, the outs, those types of things are going to open up the run game because your linebackers aren't running downhill. Wisconsin's defensive line is not the one back there creating havoc. They're just filling the gaps so that the linebackers can get there. So you need to slow those guys down. Yeah, it is. And you'll hear their names a lot, right? That's It's Leo Chanel, it's Chris Herbig, Jack Sanborn. Those are their top tacklers. They've combined for 16 and a half sacks on the season. Like, yeah, you're right. They, they run their entire defense through those guys. But again, I just, I don't trust Nebraska to game plan effectively sure and that's because that's fair it's a it's a it's an issue of stubbornness honestly like in, in my mind it's stubbornness it's they nebraska wants to go for the explosive plays nebraska is not willing to commit to a run game nebraska might not trust adrian martinez to make just those little you know quick quick outs and those little chunk yardage plays especially if he's injured if he's hobbled if he's if, you know if he's not feeling great yeah i just i i don't see how nebraska's offense can effectively consistently attack this defense but you do agree that that would be the way to go about it is try and take those yeah. guys yeah yeah that's how it's been all year it's just the way that the big 10 west especially plays on defense is you take what you can get and then you take your opportunities when you can get them we know nebraska can be explosive you know when things are clicking we also know that nebraska doesn't convert on it like when they make explosive plays they either score a touchdown or they fuck it up yeah it's it's like it's a it's 
one direction or the other. It's a very high ceiling and a very low. Yes, yeah. yeah. And explosive plays are supposed to be the sort of like the safety net. Yeah. Because when you make an explosive play on offense, what you're doing effectively is you're saying, we're going to gain 20, 30, 40, 50 yards on this drive, and we're going to eliminate the need to run 10 plays. Well, when you eliminate the need to run so many plays, you eliminate the the chance of fucking up and making a mistake. Right. And so Nebraska is a bit of an anomaly in that regard is they're really great at explosive plays, but they're also not utilizing those plays to, to eliminate mistakes. I don't know. Maybe me harping in on that fact of that's how we need to go about it. We need to show that we are this team capable of stringing together a 10, 12, 14 play drive. I mean, how many games could that have won us this year if we, if we knew we were capable of that in addition to the fast strike? Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, you know, when you're up against a, a Michigan or a Michigan State late in the game and you try and hit down the field on offense for a long bomb, well, shoot, they're just going to play prevent defense and they're going to keep your guys covered and run an eight yards down the field until your quarterback gets tackled on a quarterback scramble. That doesn't win you the game. Yeah, if you're not playing that, if you're not playing that, you know, going for six, seven yards in a play during the game, you're not comfortable in that situation. You're right. always looking for those big plays. You're always looking to be explosive. And so when you get into crunch time, and that first, you know, first and ten, you go for that shot and you miss it. Now you're second and ten, you're behind the chains. You're not in a comfortable situation. You're not doing something that you're familiar with or you've been doing all game. Now you're really starting to reach. I think that, to me, that's where Nebraska struggles. Well, I'm glad we're both confident. <laughs> <laughs> I think Nebraska's, I mean, they have all the pieces. They've always had, right? They've right. Always and that's had the, the frustrating pieces. part, right? Where yeah. it's like, I think this is another point where it's like, where, where you fall on the maybe Scott Frost isn't the right guy. And I say maybe very maybe, lightly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I'm thinking, hey, you know, there's there's opportunity if maybe you've got someone to push against him to say, look, you have the, the puzzle pieces. But then you brought up when we were talking to Josh where it's like maybe if they brought the right guy in who sees, holy shit, we, look at the talent we have. If only we did what David Bell does at Purdue and what Adrian O'Connell can do at Purdue where he put up video game numbers against Ohio State doing these little things. We have what we need to win. We're just not using them properly. That's where I'm thinking, okay, you bring in a staff and a guy who's really pushing against Frost, and maybe there's an opportunity to find some wins yeah. where they weren't there before. And that, that to me, is where there's still a little bit of hope. Sure. If you're willing to cling to that, good for you. But so <laughs> <laughs> that's 2022, right? Like that's yeah. not going to happen in these next right. two games. Frost is going to be calling these plays during this game. I, no, Ron Brown is. I, <laughs> right. Scott Frost is going to be calling the plays, right? And and honestly, I think because he has two free games and he's going against tough defenses and he's a stubborn person, I think he's going to go all out. He's going to go. He's going to say, "Hey, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is what I believe will work." And he's going to fucking go for it. And I think it's going to blow up. I think it's going to blow up in his face. I think. I don't think he's going to adjust. For these two games, yeah, because he doesn't have to, right? He's going to try one last time to see his vision come to fruition. He's, he he wants more than anyone for it to be a five and seven season. <laughs> I'm serious. Like these these last two games, they matter to him, right? It's it's tough, right? You just yeah. you you wish success for your team and you want success for your team always, and it's difficult to sometimes be a realist or to to you know lose that optimism when you're like, okay, if if Trev Alberts and those guys aren't making these changes. Then, then I'm I'm at fault for not being bought into them. It's it's only difficult if you want it to be. Yeah. As soon as you're if it's, as soon as you're ready to let go. Who are you? Why are you making <laughs> such hard eye contact with me? I'm just saying. As soon as you're ready to let go, 
of like the emotional aspect of this this whole That's scenario. That's all I have is emotion. <laughs> no. I'm a I'm a I'm very much a you, it's, you, you eliminate emotion from any decision you ever make. Yeah, and you're gonna make the right decision. Okay, it's probably a dumb way to live, live your life. No, it's not. But it's, it's actually, the way that that I live it. Annie Duke, world-renowned poker player. Yeah, has a fantastic book called Thinking in Bets, where she talks about the importance of decision making over the over results. Right. So what her book preaches is do everything you can to make the right decision, and as long as you're making the right decision, the results don't matter. And that kind of speaks to that, right? Where if you take emotion out of this and you're just focused on doing what is the best thing to do, don't don't live in a world where you're focused on what is the result. Live in a world where you're just focused on the decision itself. And that's where emotion can be tricky, right? Is you're emotionally attached to, I want wins, but I want them to be brought upon by a Nebraska guy. And I want to buy into this. And I want I want these results, but I'm I'm taking those results and just forgetting completely about the whole process that comes in front of those results. And that's where I'm sitting currently. Even (laughs) someone who's read this book, highlighted it, dog-eared, like I love this book. It's a great book. If you're someone who's looking for like a a great business book that has a different edge, Thinking in Bets, Andy Duke. She also then went to Harvard Business School after she won her money in in, uh, poker. It's a great book to read. I highly recommend it. This is the way I think in business. It's not the way I think <laughs> when it comes to football. Yeah. So I just just throwing that out there. And that's hard because it's it's football. It's it a is. fandom. You you know, it is. emotion is supposed to be involved. And in at the end aspect. of the day, it doesn't it doesn't impact me win or lose. Anyways, let's get back to it. Let's yeah, get now that we're having yep. a therapy session with one another. <laughs> <laughs> so Nebraska's defense against Wisconsin's offense. What are your what are your thoughts on here? I'm I'm worried about not having JoJo Doman for this game because yeah. I feel like this is I love Cam Taylor Britt, and I got to mention him up top. Yep. But JoJo is, I feel like, the heart and soul of this team, and he does so much. Like, he's so versatile. We all know he's number three in total tackles, number two in sacks, number three in passes defended, two in interceptions. He's number one in forced fumbles. He's all over the fucking field. I like that you he said, does. we all know, and then listed yeah. all of these stats. We all know those <laughs> things. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Who, I got him yeah. tattooed on my arm. <laughs> The fact is, is like we all know that without even looking at numbers, we know that he's just everywhere and that he's just a, he's an integral piece. Yeah. And so now they're going to look probably to Isaac Gifford to step up into that role. Yeah. In this scenario, and and I'm not saying Isaac Gifford can't fill that role, but it it requires just it's a cerebral part of the game. Yeah. Right. Because it's it's just it's so unique to Nebraska's defense sure. and what they're asking of a sure. player to do. So JoJo did that really well. Wisconsin's offense is not a juggernaut, but they're starting to kind of like come into their own and, I think and they figure start, themselves out. They believe they're a juggernaut. Yeah. And they've started to look like it the past few games. They're moving. Yeah. They're taking the confidence that the defense has been bringing to to the field every single week, and they're finally starting to capitalize on that. And and Nebraska is now, again, missing just that that one piece, and I think that's going to hurt them. Yeah. I, I mean, when you look at Wisconsin's offense, it, it is it's a Wisconsin offense. It's run first, run second, run third, and throw to your tight end. But Graham Mertz is starting to emerge as this pocket passer who's making the passes that he wasn't. Earlier in the season, there were games where he would complete five passes on eight attempts. Now, he was airing it out against Northwestern, and they were scoring touchdowns on that. Part of that might have been because Ches Malusi is injured. Part of that might have just been, this is the emergence now of this guy who's building that confidence. In his first season and a half, he wasn't that great of a looking quarterback. And now he's got the confidence of a strong offensive line who knows they can push people around. He's got a running back in Braylon Allen 
who can just charge through and keep you comfortably in the game without having to do too much. So all he has to do is just enough. Yeah. Well, Neil, and I, and I looked into that because I was like, man, like Mertz has done nothing. And, they, and everybody was kind of dogging on this guy those first few games. And so I was like, what, hap- like, what happened throughout Wisconsin's season that changed where now Mertz is just, even if he's not throwing the ball a ton, even if he's not making a ton of completions, what changed for this guy that made him more effective? And what I found was that Wisconsin stopped allowing pressure on their quarterback so in their first five games, they gave up 10 sacks and Mertz had nine turnovers. And that's to go with, along with a ton of, you know, quarterback hurries and all that. Just just general pressure, even that doesn't necessar- necessarily show up on the stat sheet. In their last five games, and again, they're on a, what, a six-game winning streak? Yeah. In their last five games, they've only given up four sacks, one quarterback hurry, and Mertz only has four turnovers. And then and they've lost their starting running back along with two other guys or three other guys that never even saw the light of day. So I think I think that letting Mertz just operate in a clean pocket, letting him um, not not putting pressure on him in terms of allowing the defense to bring pressure, but also not like saying, "Hey, you got to carry this team. We're just going to hand the ball off, yeah. run it, and then you you just throw where you need to throw. We're not taking deep shots down the field. You just kind of again." Take what the defense gives you. It's a it's an amazing concept. It's 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 Big it's Ten brilliant. football. And I and so and then that got me thinking even further. And we're gonna I'm gonna fucking dive off the board here. But okay, take me to the deep end, baby. What other what other team in the Big Ten West runs their entire offense through their quarterback besides Nebraska? That's a good question. Um, How much time do you want to think about it? Because the answer is probably the answer is no one. It's yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm running through each Nobody, team. And even even Purdue, who throws the ball, God knows how many times a game. Like they run it through their playmakers, like Bell, yeah. right? Yeah. And and through Rondale Moore when they had him. So Nebraska is the only team that's trying this this theory that hey, we can have an all star quarterback who does everything for us. Yeah, and they and they it's, it doesn't work here. Like it just does not work. It works in one school in the Big Ten. And that's Ohio State. Ohio State. But yeah. Ohio State has fucking incredible, oh incredible talent. They do. The Big Ten East is more set up for that kind of a of a offense. But the Big Ten West, no, it's not a quarterback-led offense. And if we're going to run through that gauntlet, we need to have an offensive line like Wisconsin's that is able to stop Big Ten West defenses from putting pressure on our guy. Yeah, so that they can make smart throws, smart decisions, and, and not – carry a team but just be a facilitator yeah the other the other thing that i looked at was just in the last five games chesma lucy and braylon allen and i know chesma lucy's out for the rest of the season but just looking at the kind of running numbers that they've had those guys have combined to average 222 yards per game they're incredibly complimentary and have led to wisconsin averaging 31 points per game while the defense is only allowing 7.3 i mean that is a huge discrepancy between what the offense is earning and what the defense is allowing. I ran some other numbers, and they just made me too depressed to include, but it had to do with negative yardage. And Wisconsin does not give up negative yards. If anything, their guys fall forward for a yard. They get rid of the ball quickly when they're in the backfield. So that offensive line is just playing at an incredibly high level, whereas compared to Wisconsin's defense and what they're doing to opposing offenses, it's all about the negative yardage. They're making you work from a third and 15 without a false start penalty. They're making you work from a third and 15 just by getting those linebackers downhill. And it just works so well for them. They've made for a very effective team that is probably going to run the table and win the West. And nobody saw it coming after the first four games. But this past, whatever, they're going to win nine in a row. 
and they've earned it. Yeah, and and you look at those first four games. They they were playing some steep competition, and everybody yeah. kind of wrote them off, and we probably shouldn't have. Looking back at this winning streak, even just these past three games, I'm touching kind of on your point here about you know Wisconsin passes the eye test. They're not playing necessarily great competition compared to what they were earlier, but it doesn't. They're playing the Big Ten West is who they're playing. Yeah, they're playing the same guys we have. Their points per play margin, which is an an indicator of success and efficiency in a team, their last three games, they're they're operating at .425 points per play. Over the course of the season, if they had done that, that would rank them at number two in the nation. Oh, jeez. Right? That's quadruple their season total average. So they're hitting their stride. And if you want another number to help you understand of just kind of how they've turned things around. True, I just said, I, nope, I nope, didn't piling on, numbers. Baby. Piling on, here we go. Their turnover margin, the first five games, they were two and three with a negative 11 turnover margin. They've been on a six-game winning streak. Their last five games, they're plus 10 in the turnover margin. And that's their, their defense has been there all along. It's been carrying this team. It's been holding on. Their offense, again, it's not it's not scary. It's not a juggernaut, but it's it's complimentary. Yeah. It's finally it's finally coming into its own. It's figured out its groove and it's paying off in the in a huge way where they're starting to dominate. Yeah. And I and so we'll go we'll go into predictions. Well, before we get into our predictions, let's dive into our sportsman sip. So it is now time for this week's sportsman sip. Before we reveal our predictions, we'd like to raise a glass to our opponent and sample a beer local to their university. This week, we are drinking Big Brook IPA from Angry Minnow Brewing Company in Hayward, Wisconsin. That's right, Ben. Big Brook IPA checks in at 6.2% ABV with an IBU rating of 95. Uh, Fun fact for y'all, Big Brook has a lot in common with Nebraska football at the moment. Not only is it currently out of season, it's also much closer to Minnesota than the team in Madison, despite what many of us might have expected. Let's let's raise our glass and give a cheers to Angry Minnow Brewing Company in Hayward, Wisconsin, as well as cheers to the Badgers of Wisconsin. All right, Drew, time to get into those predictions. My too early prediction for the Nebraska-Wisconsin matchup, wow, what foresight I had. I had Nebraska dropping this game 27-24. to and you had Wisconsin winning 33 to 17. So we both saw a Wisconsin win. Yeah. We're a pair of Nostradamuses <laughs> seeing this potentially as a Wisconsin win. I'll go ahead and start it off with my prediction, though, for this game. And I'll tell you what, it's changed. Oh, boy. 2021 is the year Nebraska makes its own rules. The Huskers haven't been to the college postseason in five years, so what do they do? They make their own postseason by firing four offensive coaches and making the last two games feel like the offseason. No Power 5 coach has ever held a 35% win percentage through four seasons and then gone on to win his division in one of the following years because the rules say to let him go. But not at Nebraska. We set our own rules. You think our head coach listens to any outside noise? He said it himself this week. He barely listens to people he knows. Nebraska's record this season mattered for three reasons. One, the Huskers needed to make a bowl game to show improvement and provide extra practices. Two, The 2021 record was supposed to indicate whether we should retain Scott Frost as head coach or move on. And number three, pride. With one and two off the table and out of the way, all that's left is number three, pride. And hopefully a fuck ton of it. (laughs) Nebraska has only beat Wisconsin one time in the past 47 years. If you want to prove change is possible, now would be a good time. You think you know how this game is going to go between Nebraska and Wisconsin? To quote the early aught smash documentary series MTV's Diary, you think you know, but you have no idea. This is the Diary of Nebraska Football. 
We will know early in this game which Nebraska showed up. Will it be the team that showed up against Oklahoma, Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State? Or will it be the disinterested visitors passing through only to jump, jump, jump around? Your guess is as good, if not better, than mine. <laughs> I could sit here and be realistic, but where's the fun in that? Huskers hold on 20... 20- no. <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish. Okay. Huskers hold on 20 to 16. Let the Scott Frost era version 5.0 begin. Wrong. Remember, remember when wow. when you threw a fuck it and you were like Nebraska beats Oklahoma or whatever yeah, episode that I, was? Because at that point there was still a chance, and they played well enough to win. Sorry, my <laughs> <laughs> my headphone accidentally hit that sound button when I was trying to reach a piece of paper that fell under the table. Uh, well, I just I just felt the same way. I just yeah. thought, why not? Why not? Yeah. What's where's the harm? I, I, I'm still holding on to hope, no matter how much Josh Peterson and Drew Horstman judge me. We are two leading voices in the campaign against Frost. <laughs> and I am on the opposing end. And you know what? I think that makes for good content. Because where would the fun be if you and I felt the same way? That's true. We, that's all we're focused on, really, is just content. We are like one of those social media influencers that does makeup tutorials. All that matters is content. <laughs> Tune huh. in next week. Yeah. All right. To show you how to contour. Okay, let me just... And uh, use a concealer pen. <laughs> I know too much about makeup. Drew, I'm going to dial back your optimism here. Dial it back, back, baby. Right Daylight savings time, my optimism. Here we go. This is my prediction. My prediction skips past the first half of the game, just like Husker fans will be wishing they could have done come late Saturday afternoon. It's 17-3 to at the break in favor of the Badgers, and Trev Albert suddenly remembers he has another major family event to attend to. His son's wife's cousin's dentist's granddaughter is celebrating her quinceanera, and gee, you'd really hate to miss that, you know? Besides, the 21 season is in the books, and Nebraska's next meaningful game will be played another year in another country. This game in Madison means nothing in the grand scheme of things. While Wisconsin may be jumping around at the end of the third quarter, leading by a score of 24-10, to 10, they most certainly will not be jumping around on the grave of Scott Frost's career here at Nebraska. That honor belongs to Indiana in October of 2022, but I'm getting ahead of myself. With four minutes remaining in the fourth quarter, Nebraska finds itself down 24 to 14. That's right, folks. I'm predicting Nebraska will go from 24 to 10 to 24 to 14 because at this point, they are statistically more likely to score consecutive safeties than hit a single field goal. Regardless of how they get there, Nebraska will have the ball with precious little time on the clock and once again be within striking distance of a nationally ranked team. A 42-yard touchdown catch by Samori Torre draws Nebraska within three and has everyone in Nebraska gearing up for another close loss. This is just the sort of quality loss the college football playoff committee values right now, and boy do we have a fuckload of them. But as we all know, too much of a good thing is a bad thing, and a bad thing is Jojo Doman's finger. Sure, it's 24-21, And sure, we have a chance if we could just get a stop with this sweet defense of ours. But we can't get a stop. Not now. Not without a key player. Not against this surging Wisconsin offense that ranks between, checking my notes here, the Jaguars of South Alabama and uh, some 3-7 and team that just pink-slipped 80% of its offensive staff. So there you have it. A 24-21 loss to the Badgers of Madison leaves Nebraska sitting at 3-8 and eight on the season. Nebraska is close. Close to what? I don't know anymore. But we are close. And now that Verduzco is no longer around, we can finally say it and mean it. This team is close, but no cigar. <laughs> so I'm out. <laughs> yeah. You know what I do appreciate, though, is 
I said fuck ton. You said fuck load. That's why. And I, we that's both mentioned jump around. Yeah. yeah. Those are all the, that's all you need to know about Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. Well, I predicted a 27-24 in our predictions at the beginning of the season. You've got 24-21. I've got it tightening up, low scoring. Yeah. yeah. I Honestly, I, I don't even know if Nebraska scores 21. That's absurd yeah. to even think about them putting up that many points in this game. I think it's going to be very low scoring. Yeah. I think Wisconsin just is, they're, they're a time of possession. They're going to control the clock. Nebraska does not do well against that sort of a team. I, I don't see Nebraska putting up more than, I don't know. 13 to 16 points, to be honest. Yeah, but you predicted 21. I predicted 21 because it fit the narrative of my jokes. Sure. I appreciate that. Uh, All right. Before we say goodbye, we want to give you another chance to win our season-long prize package, including a game-used Nebraska football and local brewery swag. For this week's entry, email wannabewalkons at gmail.com with the total number of missed or shitty calls made by Big Ten officials in Nebraska's matchup against Wisconsin. Remember, there's only one entry per episode, and you don't have to be correct to win. If you're a new listener or haven't entered for our earlier episodes, you can do so until we give the prize away. Just make sure to include your first and last name in your email entry. All right, that does it for this week. We want to give a very special thank you to Josh Peterson for joining us for this week's episode. You can follow Josh on Twitter at Josh Tweederson, and I highly recommend that. Uh, Listen to him during the week from 2 to 6 p.m. in the Omaha market on 1620 a.m. or download the 1620 The Zone app to listen to him whenever and wherever. I also recommend following him on Twitter. It's it's hella fun. I I still want to be left out of the conversation. No, it's a good amount of comedy there. We talked about it, and we never cut off our our outro like this, but we did talk about it. I hope that people do seek out opposing points of view. It's important. When you come to sports especially... Listen to what everyone has to say. You don't have to agree with them, but it is important for hearing kind of the overall big picture. And when decisions are made, realize that everything is being taken into that consideration, especially with a guy like Trev Alberts. That stuff is really being considered. And the whole big picture is important for understanding the minute detail. So even though Drew and Josh and I all have differing of opinions, some are closer to each other than not. I think it's really important in these situations to just hear what everyone has to say and then make up your own mind about it. There's there's nothing wrong with that, and I think it's it's all the healthier for it. Yeah, and it's a fun arena to practice it in. But yeah, sports is again it's just the place that you go to where you know you can you can create an opinion. Yeah, and it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, and that's you know it's practice. But it's awesome, and it's okay, and it's fun. I mean, I have better conversations here, and I'm it's easier to communicate here having those differing opinions than it is if we all agree because we all just say yep, yep, yep. Are you guys okay? Is everyone all right in the brewery? <laughs> Quick, grab a beer. <laughs> I am trained. They trained uh, yeah. me on how to do that. No, I know. You can, can you imagine? Had I not gone off on my little my little soapbox, that would have been missed. That's true. We wouldn't. Have For had those that. of you who don't who heard that big crash, we just saved so many dogs, so many puppies and kittens that fell through the ceiling, <laughs> and were heroes. <laughs> Anyways, we want to thank Zipline Brewing Company in Lincoln, Nebraska for hosting us this week. You can visit Zipline at their tap rooms or beer lounges in Omaha and Lincoln or find their beers in stores all across Nebraska and in the six different states they distribute to. Hey, tune in next week as we sit down and sample beers from Scratchtown Brewing Company in Ord. Share our thoughts on the Wisconsin game and preview the only game that matters, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Thanks for listening and as always, drink big red. Drink big red.